to my groom head. Uh, I think I had to go in here try and figure out what happened to my thermometer. <laughs> it just disappeared all of a sudden. So. I, it's, oh, it's warm. Just It's warm and dry. We're back to Arizona weather. Oh, it's 90, 90 degrees right now. Oh, nice. No, it can't be 90. It's too early, right? I don't know. It is this Arizona. This is all messed up. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, we'll just figure it out. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Um, good morning, everyone. We are going to start this morning talking about the debt ceiling and about the economy because that still, I think, is the biggest story for people in the country here in Arizona. Still have very high gas prices. Inflation is still hurting people. The GDP grew at 1.1% for the first quarter. People are uh, predicting that we're going to see a recession soon. How deep will that be? Uh, for many people, we're already in a recession. I, I, that word to me has gotten so politicized. It isn't about the definition of the word anymore. It's about your perception of the word. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit more specifically about what's happening in the uh, the economy. Did the rate hikes, are the rate hikes impacting uh, what we're seeing with inflation? Because jobless numbers are actually down a little bit. Uh, so this is an ABC News report. Remember, back from July through September, this economy grew at a pace of more than 3%. So I think what this shows you is higher interest rates and, and inflation finally starting to take hold in the economy. And the Fed's string of interest rate hikes are finally having the intended consequences because the Fed wanted the economy to slow down to bring inflation lower. So part of this decrease is because of consumer spending. At the beginning of the year, consumer spending was very strong. Hiring was very robust. And then things started to slow down a little bit. So we dug a little further into this report. Consumer spending still hung on there in the first quarter. Exports, government spending also strong. There were decreases though in private inventory investment and residential investment. So I think you're starting to see businesses uh, starting to tighten their belts a little more. And we're seeing that in the way of of increased uh, layoff announcements lately. So one of the questions has been asked, and I think it's a fair one, and Alexis, this is is Alexis from ABC News. She talks about bank, uh, did the bank collapses have anything to do with the slowdown in the economy? This report does include the time when we had those two bank collapses, mm-hmm. those mid-sized bank collapses in the first quarter, which also could have um, contributed to the slowdown in the economy. And so we'll see going into the next quarter what happens. But this is what everyone is concerned about. This is the prospect of a recession. A number like this with such a dramatic slowdown, I think it's going to be really challenging uh, to, to have that soft landing. And more and more economists believe that we could fall into a recession later this year. And the timing of this is, you know, politically speaking, and the timing of it is not good for the White House. Um, I would say largely, you know, they've got themselves to blame if they'd acted on inflation sooner, if they would have not called it transitory. But that's hindsight. Now it's about the American people. I've said for a long time, I do not agree with this president's policies at all. But I don't want to see failure. If he fails, America fails. I don't want to see people lose their jobs. I don't want to see American economy slow down. I don't like any of that. I don't want to see – I don't want to win politically on my side because people are having it rough. You know, I, I, I want the – I like the ideological conversation. I like the policy conversation. I think voting in that way would be right. But I sincerely don't want to see Americans fail um, as – you know, and I think that that's potentially what we're going to see is we are going to see this largely the Democratic Party – says they cater to the working class. I mean, whether you believe it's true or not, we're just talking about the perceptions of the two parties. Uh, Republicans, the party of the rich. Democrats, the party of the working class and the poor. But those are the people that will be affected most quickly and longest when it comes to a recession. Um, people on the lower income scale generally lose their jobs faster. Um, and they're in the place where they, most of the time, they are the people in the place where they don't have a lot of money saved, where they can survive not having a job for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs>
So um, this is where the, the concern for me is for all Americans. You know, I, I have no I have no jealousy toward the wealthy. I never have. Um, but I do. I, I, I come from the working class and there are people out there that work hard and do the right thing with the money they have. They don't overspend, but they don't have a lot to spend. They don't have the ability to save at all, if anything. And so for them, a loss of a job that's not their fault is heartbreaking because here's people that do the right thing. They work very hard. I've worked places where there were layoffs. And I know that bosses have – it's torturous for small companies to say we've got to lay somebody off because they genuinely don't want to. And I've watched bosses. Fortunately, I've never had to be one of those managers that had to lay people off. That were good workers. It wasn't their fault. There was just a slowdown in work. Um, and I know that that's right around the corner, and that is for a lot of people. Um, so I want to shift for a moment to the debt ceiling conversation. President of the United States, President Biden, talking about meetings and negotiations with uh, Speaker McCarthy. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. Well, it is negotiable. Everything's negotiable. So if you and this is where the problem lies with the and if you listen, depending on who you believe, again, if you want to believe the White House. But the speaker has said he's tried to call countless meetings and they haven't. He talks. The president talks about the need to extend the debt limit. I noticed they quote Reagan and they quote they quote Reagan all the time and they quote Trump, both of which said it's just I'm paraphrasing. It would be an absolute crime to not extend the debt limit. Well, you can't quote and then paraphrase, but that's what he said. Um, another win is the uh, as, as Speaker McCarthy um, has uh, passed in the House of Representatives a debt ceiling um, uh, bill, so it goes to the president. Not only did we offer a plan, we passed it. McCarthy said, uh, "I want you to hear a little bit more." He talks. Uh, he's he. This is him talking about the meeting that they should have with the president. The president said, well, I'm not going to talk to him until he offers a plan. Not only did we offer a plan, we passed it. That's it. So now it's time to talk. And his suggestion is that he wants the president to sign the bill, not veto it. And and this is where it gets a little bit partisan. He talks about how they're hurting the economy on the other side of the aisle. We are the only party to take fiscal action in a sound mind that would lift the debt limit so we wouldn't have economic damage. We've also put us back on a path to end the Washington wasteful spending and to grow our economy and make us stronger. One of the things they talked about was sweeping unspent COVID dollars. Now, here's another thing. The Republicans have spent a lot more money than they should as well. This is where people get disappointed and disgruntled with political parties. There isn't a wrestling match in the House and the Senate over what to do with the pile of money that the American people give to our government. They continue to collect record revenue when either party is in charge, and then they overspend when either party is in charge. Now, during COVID, it was an emergency situation where the federal government spent a lot of money. But in your personal, and if you look at this, like if you if it was a business or if you look at it for like your personal, if you dumb it down to the simplest terms, which is the only way I understand any of it. If this were you and your family, I want you to think about an illness or an emergency. If something happened a few years ago and you were saddled with a huge expense where you are using lines of credit and credit cards and borrowing money and spending money you didn't have because there was a crisis in your family. God forbid it, illness to somebody in your family, whatever. And you had this huge expenditure that was necessary. 
And I would say during COVID, a lot of the money the federal government spent was necessary. But the waste, we can get into all of that stuff. But let's just say it was necessary spending. What do you do as you come out of that crisis? When the health crisis is over, when the uh, when when you have to get back on track, the answer is, well, I guess the answer isn't, you continue to spend like crazy. You realize that you have come out of the woods with the expenditure. But what you have to be able to do is get your fiscal house in order. Now, the Republican-Democrat conversation is where those cuts come from. But both sides should be saying we have to reduce spending. I mean, that makes that makes perfect sense to anybody that looks at their business or looks at their household uh, income or household budget and realizes we had a huge expenditure, which we didn't count on, but we had to make. And for some families, it could be the transmission went out in the vehicle and it was a few thousand bucks. The air conditioner went off. It was five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars. And we have to have air conditioning in Arizona, whatever that could be for you. But then what you don't do is go on and continue spending as if you didn't have that expenditure. You have to pay that debt off and you have to rein in spending in order to account for this huge expenditure that came up. And instead of us doing that as a nation, both parties fight over what they want. They both get told yes. The Republicans get their spending. The Democrats get their spending. And you and I go into debt. They're almost $32 trillion. And now what's going to end up happening with this is your grandchildren and my grandchildren will be paying for this and concerned that their grandchildren will be paying for it long after we're gone. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to shift to a local story that has become a national story and affectionately known as the Tamale Bill. Twelve Democrats in the House reversed their vote. We're going to talk about why they voted against it so that the veto override didn't happen. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Ted Nugent. I got to tell you guys my Ted Nugent story someday. The first time I got to hang out with Ted Nugent was absolutely legendary. I had Ted actually and I, we've become pretty good friends. He is one of the coolest guys I've ever met. So you get Uncle Ted. I'll see you in the commercial break, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I got great Ted stories. First time, one real quick, then I'm going to get this tamale story. First time Ted was in the studio with me. <laughs> Um, horrible radio, but really funny. He was sitting across the desk from me, and we started talking guns because Ted loves guns. He's wearing cargo shorts and camo, and he starts talking about guns, and he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out a handgun and says, here. He slams it on the desk. <laughs> and so, of course, I'm not going to let – I'm not going to – let him get one up on me. So then he pulls out a second gun. Then he pulls out a knife, about four magazines, and he has them laying on the table. The whole room looked like an armory by the time he was done. It was terrible radio because all you could hear was the guns hitting the desk. But that was that was my introduction to Ted Nugent. First time I met him. That's great. It was great. All right. Uh, sorry about that. It would trip down memory lane for me. Um, this tamale thing is interesting because we always talk about – 
getting things done. We talk about bipartisan work. The, the parties have to work together. We want work to get done. But what ends up happening is our bases don't usually let that happen. And it's it's an unfortunate, unfortunate thing. But when things come up that both parties agree on, it's so rare we focus on it. This tamale bill, House Bill uh, 2509, was homemade food and so that people can make a living. And that's not a partisan issue. There are poor Republicans. There are poor Democrats. There are rich Republicans. There are rich Democrats. And there's working class in both parties as well. And this is about working class people finding a way to be industrious and get ahead. We've all appreciated that. You know, we all knew kids when we were young. You know, the Girl Scouts that are outside the grocery store selling Girl Scout cookies. We buy the cookies. We uh, Kids that are selling candy door to door for their school trips, that kind of stuff. It teaches someone to be industrious. Well, this is a way where adults are saying this is a way we can make some money for our family. And it was vetoed by the governor and it had huge bipartisan support. So then after the support was so high, the governor vetoed it. They had a push to override the veto and 12 Democrats who voted in favor of the bill changed their vote so that it wasn't overridden. Why'd they do that? The, the, the answers are fascinating. So of the 12, eight did not respond to messages, eight of them. And I'm not going to read all their names, but they're, uh, the Democrats, eight Democrats didn't re- uh, respond. Um, uh, Representative Jennifer Longden of Phoenix deferred comment to Democratic leadership. Representative May Perslaki, I think is how you pronounce it, um, declined to comment. And then so eight said – didn't respond. Two did respond but wouldn't answer. And two of them did explain their reversal. And they did so. They said their objections was that the Republicans politicized it. Come on. Um, Representative Seth Blattman from Mesa said he changed his vote because Republicans made the veto into political theater by attempting to override knowing they wouldn't have. So I want to I want to laugh about this for a moment. I'm going to explain to you why. If you have ever dealt with the AEA, the Arizona Educators Association, or AEU, Arizona Educators United, the teachers unions, every single thing they do is political theater. Everything. And these Democrats vote along with them all the time. Now, I I take my party to task. So it's not just because it's a Republican slamming Democrats here. I take my party to task when they deserve it. This is the most absurd answer I've ever heard in my life. You voted in favor of a piece of legislation, but you also understood the political implications of it. There hasn't been an override of a, a, a veto override in a, what a decades here in Arizona hasn't happened. And you didn't want to be a part of the first one. You ran political cover for the governor at the expense of the people that could be making money doing this. That's what you did. You ran political cover for the governor. So whenever you hear about people, and it doesn't matter which political party it is, you hear people stand on platitudes and say, we're the party of this, and this is this, and this is what we're going to do. And then when it comes time to do it, you have to hold them accountable for doing it or not doing it. You know, one of the things is public safety. Whenever you see on a campaign sign, public safety first or police and fire endorsed, that's fantastic. That gets people elected. Then go look at their track record and if they actually back public safety. 
you know, the, the teachers unions, um, there was uh, something that the Republicans were doing they didn't like. So they showed up down at the state capitol with bullhorns and flashlights to shed light on what was happening. That's some of the, you know, the political theater I'm talking about. During COVID-19, they had a week of protest that was scheduled in conjunction with the American Federation of Teachers. And they decided what they were going to do. One of their days of protest was they were going to send copies, video copies of them recording their own obituary. And they were going to send it to the governor. All political theater. All of it. But this is why they didn't vote on this. No, that's not why. They did this because they knew they were running political cover for the governor. And anybody who sees it differently than that, you're looking at it the wrong way. This was a bill that helped working families earn money. You voted for it because you knew it was the right thing to do. And when it came time to stick to your guns, you chose politics over your constituents. And I hope your constituents remember it. Coming up in a moment, Gatos joins me, and it's the Big Q poll question of the day. Stick around for it. The Gatos Big Q poll question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, happy draft day, Gatos. Happy draft day. We'll see how uh, how they how they screw it up. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think uh, everybody keeps saying that because we have not drafted well what since Larry Fitzgerald. I think. Um, oh yeah. But. Um, it's a new regime, so maybe it is. Just maybe this new regime is going to get something right. Do you think they trade down off of three, or do you think they pick three? They're not picking three. Yeah. They're going to trade, so they're going to get maybe an eleventh overall or ninth overall or something like that. But it's going to be a long rebuild, dude. It really is. It is. It's going to be agree. a long few years, uh, but yeah. you know, and Ky- you know, Kyler Murray's a question mark, and he is going to be back till maybe October. Yeah, the Cardinals should just take a quarterback at three and trade Kyler Murray. How about that? <laughs> but who's going to take that contract? Uh, nobody. So don't do it. Because <laughs> you would have to trade him and eat part of the compensation. I, I think so. Yeah, I think. Listen, he's here until he's, you know, until that contract ends. And so, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think they might win two games next year. Oh, I hope you're right. I think they might win two games. I don't think anymore. I really don't. But um, I got a good cue. Are you ready Let's for this it. one? It, it doesn't have to do with the Cardinals draft. They're going to trade the pick, but it's a weird week, right? So I say, what's the strangest thing that's happened in Arizona this week so far? I mean, we've had, I put three really strange incidents, okay. right? All right. Uh, what is the strangest thing that's happened? All right. An Arizona lawmaker was caught on video hiding Bibles in a fridge at the Capitol. <laughs> yep. What is she doing? That's that's my that's my winner so far. Oh, B Dems cave on tamale bill. We're mm-hmm. arguing over tamales. Yep. All right. Uh, and this one does not have to do with the legislature. Uh, see, a 19-year-old woman beat up three TSA agents, sent two to the hospital at Sky Harbor Airport over apple juice. Over apple juice. <laughs> over apple juice. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a pretty. You got hiding Bibles in couches, yeah. and I'm going to say the tamale one's not going to win. I don't know. That TSA thing is a toss-up with my, for uh, me. The Bibles. It's the Bibles. Oh, goodness gracious. Hiding Bibles. Oh. Oh, and she hid one in a couch, too. She did. She did. <laughs> She's a real beauty down there, isn't she? She is. Thanks for making me laugh, Kato's. <laughs> See ya. All right. Thanks. The Big Q poll question of the day is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers.